Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, and uh, welcome back to me and to you. I guess I've been, you know, I've been gone a lot lately. We've had some great guests filling in, though. Uh, Thanks to Will Dykstra for last week filling in while I was on assignment down in uh, North Padre Island doing a lot of research. If you saw my Facebook page, you saw me out there with uh, doing the various activities. I'll leave it at that. But we had a great time, Karen and I. Caught, caught some redfish, did some good things. We got a lot lined up for the show today. Um, we have a full two-hour show today. We're back from back at 9 to 11 now for the rest of the winter. So remember to tune in 9 to 11. We're also... Uh, we, we will have a shorter show next week by half an hour because of an Air Force football game. That will happen occasionally, but not very often. But we're going to cover a lot of fishing and hunting today. You know, it's been a really different kind of season. We started it slow because of the cold weather, then it got extremely hot, and we're slow to transition into the fall-type bites. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk a lot of hunting over the next few weeks, too. Uh, Austin Parr is going to join us in a minute. We've got Colorado State Parks. And then next hour, Will uh, Dykstra actually will join us to talk some fishing. We've got the folks from the Blue Quill Angler are going to join us in the second hour. We're going to talk some shotgunning and dove season, which, you know, dove season, I firmly believe, is just a, an, uh, something created by the ammunition companies to sell shotgun shells, and we'll leave it at that. But I'm sure uh, uh, Austin will clue me in on how to get more doves. But we're going to talk a little bit of that with the folks from Colorado Clays, too. And uh, then Bernie Keefe will join us at the end of the second hour, and we'll start getting an update on Granby. You know, that great fall bite won't, isn't very far away. But let's go right to the phones right now. Uh, joining us, he's always a great contributor. He fills in on the show from time to time. He's uh, from Discount Tackle, and he's got his guide service, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me this morning. Well, it's great to have you on. Let's let's start with my nemesis, first off, dove hunting. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, a lot of people think dove hunting is a great way to tune up for the other upland game, and it is. But dove hunting is a great activity in itself in Colorado, isn't it? It's one of my favorite times of the year, to be honest with you. It's nice and warm, pl- you know, prolific shooting when you do things right. Um, and as you mentioned, fantastic practice to go out and figure out all sorts of wing shooting, whether it be jump shots out of a wheat field or pass shooting or, or even decoying shots. It, it gives you opportunities to, to get ready for all the other seasons as well as just have a great time. Well, I've talked to a few different people. I talked to the biologist, and he said there were really a lot of doves around yet. We haven't had that cold spell that's pushed them out of the, or pushed them south. And I don't think, I think we still probably have some northern birds that'll still push down here. But I've also talked to people who haven't found doves in their favorite places and are saying, well, maybe there are not that many. I know you've been out. What have you been seeing? There's an absolute ton of birds right now. It is, it is crazy. And, you know, looking at the weather patterns for the next 10 day forecast is, doesn't look like uh, there's going to be very many birds that are going to be leaving at any time soon, as well as looking up north, everything is still warm up there. So if it gets a little bit colder up there, maybe it'll even push more birds down. But the big key that you have to be looking at is you have to get off of South Platte River. The South Platte River does not have very many doves on it at all. You know, there's, there's, I've had multiple reports of my good friends going out there, as well as other people in the store, 
and the birds are not on the river at all. You have to head, you know, pretty significantly east. And then another really good hot spot that's been have been the uh, the walk and access properties to the southeast portion of the state um, down by Two Buttes Reservoir. The birds down there have been, I mean, to the point of, of limits and minutes down there. Now, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I would say that going into this, Going into fall, for a while, you know, we had so much rain early and so much habitat grew out east, and we had water in places there wasn't. Of course, then it got hot and dry in July and August. Is it that they don't need the river for water? Is there just that much more habitat in other places? Why do you think they aren't using the river as much? Well, the one interesting fact when you think about the river is there are just so many trees on the river that any type of birds in the area are not very concentrated, whereas you head out east, whether it be southeast Colorado or, or, or eastern central or whatever you're doing, um, you know, the, the habitat is much more concentrated out there. You have a small creek draw or you have an old abandoned homestead, and those areas are holding the birds much tighter than you're finding on the river. You can walk all day long and maybe only get a few shots. And that's the other thing is that, you know, a lot of times when you're on some of that stuff out east, you're able to decoy birds a little bit better than you can on the river just for the fact that the, the birds want to be on a very specific location rather than just, just uh, flying down the river itself. So I'm gonna, I want to transition to fishing because there's some great fall fishing coming up and some great summer fishing still going on. But for those who maybe are new to dove hunting or maybe they're, they've typically hunted the Platte River area, can you... Can you give up a few few areas that maybe people should try? You know, that southeast portion of the state is really the area that has been better than anything, and and that's really where I've been seeing, you know, the vast portion of doves as far as in huge quantities. You know, you do have the Arkansas River down there, which, as we mentioned, may not be as good as some of those walk-and-access properties, but the state has done a very, very good job um, having quite a few properties in that southeast portion of the state that are holding doves in ridiculous numbers. Um, there's various walk and access properties down there that are having trees, little creek draws down there, as well as old abandoned homesteads. And I mean, that would be really where, if you're, especially if you're looking to maybe make a weekend of it here, even with, with the next 10 days where it's looking good, that would be the area that I would be going. Last question before we move on to fishing. If you, when you are hunting that southeast area, are you seeing quail? Uh, you know, I have seen a few quail down there, um, you know, but a lot of the properties that were on, you know, you'll see some here or there, but it's not quite the same habitat that you'd be seeing the scale quail on. You know, the scale quail do like a lot of the abandoned properties, but I've not seen as many as I would be really anticipating seeing, but I've also done better down there in some of the, the chala cactus type areas um, rather than seeing them in the, uh, in the abandoned homesteads. All right. Let's, let's switch gears. Let's talk fishing. Um, yeah, you probably heard me during the introduction, and I was saying, you know, we had we had this cold, wet, almost no summer until the end of June. I don't think we hit our first 90-degree day till like, the last two or three days of June, and the water was very cold. We had high flows. Um, fortunately, it didn't come down suddenly, but because it came down over an extended period of time, it kept water temperatures low. Water is extremely high, even still for this time of the year. And everybody complained the water didn't warm up fast, the fish were spread out, and even though the fishing was good, it was so different because it was behind going into the summer. Then we got a July that was pretty typical and an August that was scorching, and our water temperatures soared, but the the levels still haven't dropped significantly for this time of the year. They're dropping. And now I'm hearing, well, the fall bite's a little late because the water temperatures are high. What are you seeing out there? 
it's been so varied depending upon the location that you've been going. So, for instance, at Chatfield, as we've talked about over the last little bit here, the, the bait fish, I don't know if I would say they've crashed, but there's, they, they did not have a very good spawn out there at all. But then you go to Cherry Creek, and the bait fish are thick out there. And, you know, it was a little bit later than normal, but there's still a really good trolling bite to be had out at Cherry Creek. But you go to a place like Chatfield, and the, the, it's almost more like we're in June or July right now, where these fish are very, very tightly oriented. And you know it's a cliche to say this, but for those walleyes, legitimately 90% of those fish are in 10 or maybe even 5% of the water right now. They are so tightly packed. So techniques that you'd be seeing like a bottom bouncer rig are not nearly as productive, but stopping and casting on them is. But techniques, even as, as much as a jig and a crawler, are still working. Whereas you go try that at Cherry Creek right now, and that's not a very good technique uh, to be catching a lot of fish. You need to be trolling more. But it's just so varied depending upon the lake. And with those higher flows and those lower water temperatures, it's, it's messed things up, but not necessarily in a bad way for us fishermen. Yeah, I think it's going to eventually lead to healthy fisheries. I, I kind of have a... Uh, theory, and it might be just out in left field. The Chatfield typically gets quite a bit of flow compared to Cherry Creek, which will warm up yep. faster and it's shallower. And Cherry Creek seems to have, it's so fertile, have no problem maintaining a shad population. I'm Never. wondering if yeah. some of the lakes, some of the lakes like even Boyd and and uh, Chatfield which, and Boydfield Lake, uh, Horsetooth, I'm wondering if we really didn't hardly get a, a, a shad uh, spawn this year, be- or it happened so late that the fish are still very small. Yeah, any any indication that might have happened? You know, I would say right as the shad were spawning, you know, when we've seen them up shallow, we had a water temperature drop, and that's one thing that could have potentially affected it, but we're, we've already peaked on water temperature, and we're going back down, so I would just, I, I feel like I'm not going to see the shad in a lake like that this year. What do you so, think? I mean, uh, it's been a strange one, but go ahead. What do you think that's going to do um, to some of the lakes where we go for a jigging wrap or a spoon bite? Now, Cherry Creek, it'll probably still be good. I would think there's probably enough adequate shad in Pueblo because it, it stayed a little warmer, I think. But what do you, how do you think that's going to affect that type of fishing as we get into the fall? So several years ago, we had a, a situation just like this at Chatville where we didn't have a lot of bait fish, and the jigging wrap bite was still fantastic throughout the fall, but the blade bait bite was not nearly as productive as the jigging wraps were. So I tend to find that although the jigging wraps are very good when there's a lot of bait fish in the lake, I do better when there's not bait fish in the lake on a jigging wrap than I do on a blade bait. The blade bait, you have to have a lot of bait to have that work well, at least in my opinion. So if you're in a lake like that, I would be shifting more toward the jigging wraps. And I think the spoon is the same way. The spoon, that fluttering fluttering spoon has to imitate a, a, a dying shad or a stressed shad. And if there isn't those big balls of shad, they're not keyed on them. Well, you might catch some on a spoon. You're not going to get that same prolific bite where the jigging wrap kind of is, imitates more of a maybe a wounded bait fish down on the bottom. You can fish it tighter to structure, a little more control maybe. Yep. You know, it could be any type of a bait fish, a perch or a bluegill or a crappie or a shad or even a crawfish in right colors. So you're able to really imitate a wide variety of different things that those fish will continue to react on even when there aren't giant clouds of shad in these lakes. You're right. Well, by the one thing I forgot to mention in the open is, you know, Spinney Mountain got hit by a horrific storm, but they did, Ooh, announce, yes. they did, uh, they did announce their opening this morning, so they are open again. So the, that's, that's fantastic. Seven and, o'clock. And, you know, the fishing is going to recover quickly out there, and I'm sure you're going to talk to some other folks about that today, but... 
you know, that fall fishing in a lake like that, or even Antero I've been hearing has been fantastic. And then North Park has just been crazy, crazy, crazy good um, as far as how good the fishing has been. And it will only get better as the uh, the water temperatures drop. What have you heard up at North Park? Is it the lakes, the rivers, the combination? It's a definitely a combination up there. We're still experiencing nice flows that we weren't at this point last year. And with the temperature still up, the hopper bite has still been great for the fly fishermen up there. And then as you move into the lakes, uh, North Delaney, I've been hearing the water temperature has been dropping and that bite has been good. But Lake John has really turned on on the edges of those weed lines with two jigs. And I've been talking to some folks that have just been doing fantastic up there. Um, I have not made it up there, but I would definitely like to if I can pull myself out of these dove fields. Yeah, yeah tough choice, my friend. But, <laughs> hey, you know, you mentioned one thing and uh, uh, fly fishing. People who are especially beginners in fly fishing, we had an extremely, we're having an extreme bloom of hoppers this year. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah. And the oh, hopper yeah. dropper with the conditions you said that we have right now, lakes and rivers, but rivers especially, if you just learn the basics of a hopper dropper and what it'll do for you as a fly fisherman right now is that hopper kind of splashes down anyway, so you don't have to make a really delicate cast. You can you can mishandle the line a little bit because they're struggling in the water and it's easy to see that hopper on top compared to some dry flies and you'll still get a lot of bites on the dropper. This is a great time to go out and fly fish for people who aren't maybe technically uh, as far along as some others. I love it. Uh, This is a time, one of my favorite times and it'll work from the little, the little streams in Rocky Mountain National Park to the Colorado river. I mean, it'll just fish all of them. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you're talking about the the, the hopper dropper rig as well as a beginning angler, I would really be focusing on places like North Park or or smaller streams, even like Clear Creek, where your drifts are smaller, your water's a little bit smaller, and you don't have to worry about getting as long or as accurate of a presentation as you do in some of those large rivers. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, but it's a great way. You know what? The Big Thompson and the Pooter aren't bad right now. They're they're that's pretty, fantastic too. They're pretty good rivers. Okay, let's take thirty seconds. We're over time, but I want to get this in. It's supposed to be kind of rainy tomorrow, but if you're going this afternoon, or we're supposed to have really good weather coming up next week, give me a couple of places where you definitely would go fishing. So top water bite at Chatfield for smallmouth is fantastic. Walleyes also have been been very good up there. But then going to Antero, if you want to go and throw some Tasmanian Devils or tube jigs, had a good friend up there yesterday that did exceptionally well. And then that North Park area is, is fantastic. So fishing in your, your meadow streams up there or Lake John both have been been fantastic and will continue to be throughout the fall. If they want to find out more or talk to you, how do they find you? I'm six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe at Discount Fishing Tackle, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Terry. That's Austin Parr. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to come and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about change things up and talk about bears right here on the Front Range of Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones where we are joined by Rebecca Farrell from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing fine. You know, we have a very robust bear population in Colorado. And uh, at this time of the year, they enter a phase that my wife accuses me of all the time called hyperphagia, <laughs> whereas, which is you extre- it consume an extreme amount of calories to get ready for your sedentary winter lifestyle. 
Now, the bears do it for a little different reason. Of course, I'm kidding, but but they really do. It's a part of the natural um, progression of a bear's life. This phase comes in, but because they're going to be eating so much, and you can tell us how much, these bears are going to be out looking for food. We have to know how to interact, right? Absolutely. So to your point, they are getting ready for that long nap. And if I was going to be sleeping for a few months, I would definitely want to pack in some calories myself. Um, I don't know that I'd go to the extreme of bears who are traveling up to 20 hours a day and looking for 20,000 or more calories every single day from now until they go to sleep, probably in mid-November, late November. So that's a lot of food. Well, it really is. I mean, and, um, you know, in good years, they can find all that food in nature. And we do have I'm, as I mentioned, a very robust bear population because good management practices, and this is their home. But we've seen developments get further and further into the wilderness areas. We've seen the animals get more and more comfortable with people and get more in the suburban areas. And so there's a potential for not pleasant interaction. And that's what you want to kind of help us so we don't have that happen with bears, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, to your point, we have a a strong bear population. And so people have asked, you know, this year, is there a bear problem? Um, There isn't a bear problem. There's more of a human problem at this point. Um, And so our our ask for everyone is to please make sure, especially this time of year when bears are so hungry and looking for calories as much as they possibly can, um, do everything in your power to make sure that you're keeping bears away from your neighborhood and keeping them from becoming a nuisance or becoming dangerous. And the most important and easy way that you can do that is just to secure your trash and any other easy food sources, keeping your bird feeders down, don't leave your pet food outside. And certainly if you have a bear that's repeatedly coming to an area, don't accept that that's just bear behavior. If there is a bear that keeps returning to the same spot or knocking over garbage cans in the same alley, please call CPW sooner rather than later. It gives us so many more options for how to deal with that bear. Well, and that's the other thing. A lot of people, you know, they actually enjoy seeing animals and uh, they don't want them hurt or taken away. Um, But if you don't do things properly, it ends up being very much more detrimental to all wildlife. And you end up a lot of times having to euthanize the wildlife because they become too conditioned to people. But let's go through kind of a quick list of some of the things, because I don't think people realize all the things that attract a bear. First, you mentioned, of course, trash. They love, you know, because there's food scraps, there's smell of wrappers, all those type of things. Uh, You mentioned bird feeders. They can smell a bird feeder from miles away, and they supply a lot of calories, don't they? They do. There's over 1,700 calories in one pound of bird seed. So if you're consistently filling up a a bird feeder on your property, um, you're basically giving them, you know, a five percent of what they're looking for for their entire day with one bird feeder Um, another thing that we see a lot now especially as people have things delivered right it's such a convenient time to have things delivered but if you're having your pet food delivered a 30 pound bag of dog food which is what i buy for my two dogs for a month that's almost forty thousand calories right there so that's an amazing find for a bear well and you know clean your barbecue grills or wheel them into the garage where you can close them. That's another good point. If you have things like garbage, a barbecue grill, dog food, if you put it in a locked building, you're so much more secure. And if you put something in a car, and we'll talk about some other items, you have to lock the doors, don't you? Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, we had last year, someone had one of those kind of plastic outbuildings where you can store your garden hoses and things like that. And they were surprised that a bear was so easily able to just tear the roof off of that thing. Um, We're talking about garages. We're talking about sheds. We're talking about metal lockers, things that bears absolutely can't get themselves into. And so we want to make sure, again, like you said, if, if you have a grill outside, clean it really, really well. And if you've got the opportunity to pull it into a shed or garage, even better. Um, if you do have things that you're transporting in your car, I may have brought home a pizza last night. My car's going to smell pretty good. I want to make sure that I'm either parking it in the garage or I'm keeping it locked with all the windows rolled up. Well, and bears are notorious for learning how to open car doors from the outside, but not from the inside. Well, exactly. You've got a, a pretty easy handle on the inside or at the outside, I'm sorry, of a car where you can slip a paw in or slip a paw under. And it's it's pretty easy for them to figure out, especially once they've done it once, that there might be a reward in there. But when you get inside and you've got those sort of inside handles that are a little harder to get and to maneuver, uh, they can't get themselves back out. So they try really hard and they will make a mess of your car in doing so. And another thing we should tell people, it isn't just food, especially in cars, sometimes air fresheners, uh, fruit-flavored chapstick. I mean, their noses are so sensitive. They really are, and they can smell for up to five miles away. And if we have something that smells good, a vanilla hand lotion or a cherry chapstick, like you mentioned, a bear doesn't know that that's not really cherry or really a baked good. And so they're going to come in and and try and investigate and see what's in there. And so it's just so important that people really um, keep all scents away from your cars, your tents, um, outside of your home. Keep everything pulled in and and locked up as best as you can. Now, I want to make a couple points. We're, We're running a little long on time, but we'll make it up. Um, first off, a lot of people don't realize, they think, well, I'm in the middle of the suburbs. I don't have bears. I live, I have a great view of the mountains from my yard and everything, but I live in the suburbs in Fort Collins. And there was a a mama bear and two cubs spotted just blocks in a field from my house. A lot of times you're in bear country and don't know it. Isn't that true? It's very true. And so, um, you know, a lot of people will see it. And and to your point earlier, people love to see the wildlife in Colorado. They're very passionate, and we love that about the people who live here. Um, But we also want people to recognize that when it's, you know, when you're in Colorado, there's a good chance that you're in bear country. And so, you know, I'm the same way. I live in the suburbs, but there was a bear here in Lakewood just last year that was roaming my neighborhood. So um, it's always very responsible to, to do the things that we ask you, even if you think you don't live in bear country. You're in Colorado. There's pretty good odds that you actually are. Now, the other thing is that bear attacks are incredibly rare, especially, well, all bears. But black bears, I think there's been less than one death a year over the last hundred years in all of North America. But black bears, people think the mom and cubs, and that can happen. Obviously, they're protective. But most black bear attacks happen because bears get conditioned to finding food. And then when it's not there, you're the next thing on the menu. How do, what do I do if there is a bear coming to my property or I see one in my yard? Well, like I said, the first thing that we always want to do, our first course of action is education. So we ask people to go to our website. We've got our website address, and you just hit slash bears, and we've got tons of information. But also, you know, give us a call. You want to haze them as best you can, but sometimes the draw of that garbage is a little too much. You can call us at CPW. Call your local office. Call your local uh district manager, we can come out. We have some better hazing techniques. We have some rubber buckshot. We have even one of our canines is trained to kind of help scare bears away. And so we have the ability to kind of uh, hyper haze, if you will, if we know about things early. And so, um, again, we know people love to see wildlife. They may have a concern about calling us, but the earlier you call us, the more options it gives us to keep that bear from becoming a nuisance. All right. We are way out of time. 
uh, Rebecca, but I think it's just good common sense. Go to the website, check out what you should do if you have any doubts, but it's mostly common sense, and uh, let's have a great fall where we don't have any incidents. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's Rebecca Farrell. Always great information. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. An old friend of the show who used to spend a lot of time with us is going to join us in a different capacity on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. We are going right to the phones. Joining us is somebody over the years. You heard he used to do a, a lot of the segments on this show. He used to do a a fly fishing segment. He did a report from uh, Fish Explorer. He was a regular contributor and an avid, avid fly fisherman. Uh, he's calling in a different context today, Mr. Tim Emery. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing good. And before we get to why you're at, you're with the Wildlife Council now. We want to talk about their new campaign. But I've heard a nasty rumor that even though you're an avid fly fisherman, your son has lured you over to the dark side. Is that true? It absolutely is. I am becoming a, a, just addicted to bass fishing, and I think it is so much fun. It's so much harder than I ever thought it was going to be. And I could bass fish any day, anywhere, anytime now. It is that fun. Well, and your son is part of, he's in the youth bath, bass fishing uh, tournament things, right? Yeah, yeah. So Cooper's part of uh, Junior Denver Bassmasters, and he won a tournament a couple weeks ago, and, and, and Cooper's just taking the fishing and just loves it and you know there luckily there's a lot of kids just like him you know 10 11 12 13 14 that really love fishing and we're finding more and more of those kids and more and more parents that really don't know what they're doing or how to teach their kids but their kids are teaching themselves on youtube which is which is just amazing so if you're a parent out there listening let your kid fish all the time and take them fishing all the time every pond in the you know, the front range has a fish in it, so take him fishing. Well, we used to say, get him a tackle box, not an Xbox. And, you know, <laughs> and uh, to tell you the truth, uh, I, I, we've had such great youth success. I know we got to get to why you called, but I, I, it's a great opportunity because of your son's success, the way you've been involved with him. Most of the bass clubs in Colorado and a lot of the other clubs have youth groups, and we've had, I think, two national high school championships come out of Colorado. We've had people go get college scholarships coming out of Colorado. Uh, and you're right. There's a ton of bass fishing opportunities. You don't need a big boat. All of these ponds, we talked to uh, the hatcheries here just a few weeks ago. They're stocking heavily with bass in all the ponds and small lakes, and you can learn from shore. So do a little research. Get out there with minimal equipment. You can start with a, an inexpensive spinning reel and a rod and a few lures and just have a great time. But let's talk to why you're really here, Tim. You're part of the Wildlife Council. Gosh, you've been involved with that for how long now? Um, uh, this is my going. We'll be going into my eighth year. It's actually my last year on the council. Uh, we're allowed to serve two four-year term, so I'm kind of wrapping things up, and I've seen a hell of a lot of changes, that's for sure. Well, and one of the things, people will remember the Hug a Hunter, Hug an Angler commercials you guys did, and you really aim at the non-outdoor audience, and there's a reason for that. The North American model of funding outdoor activity has always fallen on the fishing and hunting license purchasers. The conservation through most state agencies, Colorado's no different. The money that comes for habitat, whether you're a wildlife watcher, bird watcher, you just like to hike in the outdoors, you like the trails. Now, some of the trails have some maintenance for like snowmobiles and ATVs. But for the most part, 
the hunter and angler license fees support Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and that's the funds that help them keep these resources uh, available to everybody else. And the, the, that's the purpose of the Wildlife Council is to let people know that somebody's footing the bill for how wonderful these things that they have. And what's the new campaign going to be like? Tell us about that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we did a, a ton of research. We spent over uh, a ton of money trying to figure out what, who could we influence and who, who is a, who's going to vote for the hunters and fishermen if a ballot initiative or something comes up that will restrict our ability to hunt and fish or, and, or manage the wildlife in Colorado. So we did a lot of research and we came up with a campaign kind of geared towards uh, pretty much people 22 to 35, 22 to 40, because they're a bunch of people that just don't know enough about hunting and fishing yet. Um, they all know a hunter or fisherman, but they don't really hunt and fish. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, the passing down from our generation to generation is not what it used to be. So we really try to educate those people so that if there is an initiative to, to change how we manage wildlife, we can be uh, we can be influential and, and people can look at us and say, oh, wait, hundreds of fishermen are good. Um, you know, the money from CPW helps pay for us to be able to sit here and watch the moose or sit here and watch the elk. And, and that's really the key. So our new campaign is really geared towards that. It's geared towards the bikers and the hikers and, and the mountain bikers. And, and the reason people want to move to Colorado, we've got 60,000 people moving to the state every month. And, and we've got to uh, educate them and encourage them because this is the most amazing state in the country by far. And if we don't have wildlife, we, we lose our identity. No, you're absolutely right. So give me a quick preview. What are people going to see? So they're going to see uh, a new spokesman, uh, kind of a, you know, a mid 40 to 50 year old, kind of just a, a guy with a nice smile. Who's um, he's actually an older gentleman who's he's got tattoos. Um, he's really good in it. And it's still, we've still got some comedy in it. We've still got some uh, fun in it, but we're going to see, you know, nice mountain bikes, nice, pictures, hunters, fishermen, everybody kind of getting along with each other and uh, realizing that the, the outdoors is for everybody. It's not just for hunters and fishermen. It's for mountain bikers and birders and, um, you know, the climbers and, and everybody. And everybody can get along and everybody can enjoy. And it, it, it's really good and it's got some really cool, um, the, the funny parts, you'll like the funny parts. They're subtle, but they're, they're really good. I have one bone to pick, and that's a 50-year-old guy to me is a really young guy, not an old guy. So watch watch what you're saying there, pal. Um, but he's got gray hair. So. Yeah, but one of the things I want to say uh, before we got to let you go run out of time, though, is that we talked about the North American model and paying the way. The hunters and fishermen of this, anglers of this country, not just men, but women, too, have been the initial conservationists, too. We wanted to preserve the resources so we'd have these resources for our children and grandchildren. And when all these green movements came along, I said, welcome aboard. We want to, you know, we've been picking up trash and protecting the environment and planting trees and all those things for many, many years before it was ever a fad. And we're glad to see the general public care about the environment but understand where the money comes from. Well, yeah, and... You know, the, with the way the, you know, outdoor recreation movement is going right now, 
um, it, it, there has to be an understanding of what hunters and fishermen do and, and how it's maintained. And, and one of the big misnomers is, you know, if you walked in, up to anybody on the street and you ask them, you know, who pays for the wildlife, they don't know, unfortunately. Um, you know, hunters and fishermen bring in, uh, you know, $3 billion worth of money to protect this area and protect this, the wildlife. And without the management, without the way we manage it, we'll lose all those options. We'll lose wildlife. We won't be able to, you know, uh, take care of things and manage it the correct way. And, and that's the huge part. And the people managing it are really educated and they study how to manage it. Um, you know, things happen in the world and, you know, I don't know how to manage an elk herd. Um, you know, a lot of people don't, but we've got to be able to let the experts manage our wildlife and we can't be out there voting against or not letting the management happen from the experts. And it's really going to be an interesting dilemma that comes up here in the next few months. All right, my friend, we have to go, but uh, I'll leave this last comment that if the hunters and fishermen don't pay for management of our outdoor resources, the hikers and bikers and other people are going to have to start because we're going to have to find ways to maintain them. But thank you so much. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. You bet. Tim Emery. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Mark Kite's going to join us from Sun Power Sports and talk about an incredible seminar on hunting that's coming up at their facility here in just a few weeks on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer, and we're going to go right to the phones. And speaking of sun, joining us from there is Mark Kite. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful day out, and it's supposed to stay beautiful all day. It'd be a great time to come down to sun. You know, a couple things I want to start with. First of all, we should let people know that uh, you guys work so hard all summer that after Labor Day, you kind of change your hours a little bit. Tell us about that. Yeah, we do. You know, I mean, we, we uh, all through the spring and summertime, we're open six days a week. And then, uh, you know, essentially we get to September 1st and we go back to that five-day work schedule. So, you know, we're closed Sundays and Mondays, which, uh, you know, it's a nice little break for everybody. But uh, we're still uh, super busy today, you know, wide open this morning. So it's it's good. No, you're absolutely right. And you guys go so hard at it. And you're such a great dealership. You stay so busy. And you, know, you want to get your employees out to enjoy the things they love to do, too. Speaking of things they love to do, a lot of the people that listen to this show are avid hunters, and we're going to talk about the ATVs and getting ready for hunting and or getting a new ATV or side-by-side. But you have an event coming up in, I think, about three weeks. I'm not sure the date. I didn't write it down. But Nate Zielinski is going to put on a seminar there. Tell us about it. Yeah, Nate Zielinski with Tightline Outdoors will be here at the dealership October the 1st. So mark that on your calendars. He'll be doing elk hunting seminar here at the dealership. And uh, he's done it for years, and and it's just awesome. I mean, it is so good, and he does such a great job with it. Uh, It'll be from 6 to 8 p.m. October the 1st here at Sun Enterprises. And, uh, yeah, you might want to mark that on your calendars. It's it's, it's a good event. It's free and uh, just, just some really, really good stuff he presents. Well, and if people who listen to the show on a regular basis know that during this time of the year when Nate comes on, he gives up-to-date scouting information on where the elk are and where the deer are. He's in the field virtually round the clock, and he knows when the rut's going on, and he tells you how to approach him. He tells you how to, should I be hunting water this year or should I be hunting somewhere else because there's too much water? And he goes through all those nuances that will 
uh, just to give you an idea, folks, Nate has harvested like somewhere around 18 or 20 elk and almost all of those with a, in archery. So he's, he's, and he harvested last year an extremely large bull, and he's had several large. So he's a very, very accomplished hunter. I believe, uh, Mark, also that if you go to, I think, is it Nate's Facebook or Sun's Facebook, that if you RSVP, there's a gift involved. Yes, that's correct. So you can go to Sun Enterprises on Facebook and uh, RSVP there, and then uh, that gets you on the list for that gift. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Let's talk about what else is going on. You know, whether you can make Nate's seminar or not, what a great time to stop by Sun. I don't know if you heard my commercial earlier in the show, but you guys have a ton of sales on side-by-sides and ATVs. It's that time of the year. In fact, I bet a lot of them are because the new models are coming out. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, it's really exciting time of the year right now. You know, the 2020s are all hitting the ground. We've got a lot of 2020 models, you know, here on the on the, on the the showroom floor already, both Polaris, Can-Am, Honda, all of our brands, Kawasaki. They're all here right now, which is awesome. It's also a good time just because, you know, a lot of the factories and stuff start, you know, producing big rebates and stuff. Polaris has got factory-authorized clearance going on, you know, so there's big rebates. It's a great time to buy, you know, if you wanted to do a model year-end, you know, closeout like 2019 model. So that part's really good but there is some really really cool stuff for 2020 on the market i mean all the oems this year have done a great job both in the atv and side-by-side world you know putting some new stuff out that uh really is kind of groundbreaking it's really cool stuff when for and for the average if right now we're talking the hunting seasons you know waterfall upland game big game are all going on and an atv can be such a tool and you guys not only carry a full line of accessories which we'll touch on here in just a second but you also, um, the ATVs and side-by-sides are getting more and more features on them for the, the guy that's out in that cold weather, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. You know, I mean, some of the new Polaris Northstar stuff and then, and then uh, you know, Can-Am makes a Defender, you know, come with cabs from the factory, full cabs. The Northstar Ranger comes with heat and air conditioning both. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're very decked out. The gun scabbards from the factory, just lots of cool stuff. Absolutely. And, of course, you also sell a lot of add-on accessories there that people can add. Although I have never forgiven you for all the times you went ice fishing. And after that, you told me that ATVs were available with heated handle grips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I didn't want to spoil you too much, Terry. You know that that was the thing. But yeah, uh, it's supposed to be the rugged outdoor guy, right? Let me tell. Right. Let me let me but tell you, you. Let me tell you about the rugged outdoor guy, Mark. The seats on my boat are lounge chairs. They recline. That's, so, good. <laughs> that's right. It's all about comfort, you know. That's right. But no, they do. You know, I mean, heated hand grips are available. You know, gun scabbards for ATVs. You know, winches. I mean, those, you know, those are some top accessories you see right now going on. You know, in the in the you know preseason for hunting world. You know, we do a lot lot of that stuff, a lot of outfitting of both side-by-side ATVs to get these these rigs ready to go. Yep, you're absolutely right. So, Mark, if people are out there, they're looking around, they're trying to find an ATV or a side-by-side, so instead of driving all over the country, having to look at this one here and that one there, why not go to Sun? you got an incredibly, you got the largest selection by far in this area, probably in the United States. Tell them where they'd find that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us in Thornton, Colorado. You just take I-25 to the 84th Avenue exit, get off on 84th East, two blocks to Pearl Street, and come up Pearl to about 89th. Uh, you know, our, our campus is five acres, uh, you know, takes up a full city block. You, you can't miss it. We've got uh, over 1,000 units in stock, so so pretty pretty good selection. And the best people in the world to deal with. You've been a partner of the show for Gosh, uh, over a decade, maybe going on two decades, I think. Yep. It's been a long time, and both my television shows and this radio show, you guys have been involved. 
You guys love the outdoors. We've been ice fishing together. Ron is an avid, avid hunter. And you guys know your stuff when it comes to this. So always great to have you on and a great place for the people to stop. Thank you, Mark. Hey, thank you, Terry. You guys have a great weekend. You too. That's Mark Kite from Sun Power Sports. What a great place. We just love them. They're just really, really good people. Speaking of good people, we're going to take a time out. We come back. Will Dykstra is going to join us from Tightline Outdoors, and uh, we'll get caught up on what's happening in the fishing world right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.